0: I'm Corey Astle. And I'm Kyle Salmon.
1: Welcome to Conservative Minds, a podcast dedicated to examining conservative intellectual history to determine the core values of American conservatism. What does it mean to call yourself a conservative? What did it mean in prior times? And how did we get where we are are today? We explore these questions and more by turning to conservative political thinkers from the past and present. Each episode, we select readings and conduct a discussion to share with you our investigation. If you want to join the discussion, like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at cons minds, ConsMinds, c o n s m i n d s. For episode 40, we read Crisis of the House Divided by Harry Jaffa from 1959. But before we jump into our usual biography and having a conversation about the book, I think Kyle and I would like to thank you listeners. We've done this for a year now, our 40th episode. I think it's like 37 books. And we started last December, so this is a full year and it's been fun and we didn't we didn't know if the only listeners would be our wives and <laughs> and maybe a friend or two that we that we strong armed but it's grown and it's been great and we've had fun and ho- hopefully you guys have enjoyed it
0: like Corey said, we didn't know how many people besides the two of us were interested in a weekly podcast discussing books about political philosophy, but it's it's really been, just uh, encouraging, and uh, we're we're grateful for all of you who who tune in every week. So thank you.
1: Yeah, thanks, and again, put in a plug for you know give us a give us a rating on on iTunes so that more people can find the podcast. And and if you have ideas for books, uh, a couple of you have sent those in, and and we'll hopefully get to those. So appreciate it. All right, now back to Harry Jaffa.
0: Harry Jaffa was born in New York in 1918. He earned a Bachelor's of Arts degree in English Literature from Yale University and a PhD in Political Philosophy from the New School for Social Research, where he was one of Leo Strauss's first PhD students. Jaffa taught in Ohio State from 1951 through 1964, where he wrote today's book, Crisis of the House Divided. After serving as an advisor to Barry Goldwater in the 1964 presidential election, Jaffa moved to Claremont McKenna College and later became a fellow at the Claremont Institute. He remained there for a long time until retiring and died in 2015 at the age of 96.
1: All right, so Crisis of the House Divided is really a book about the Lincoln Douglas debates. And he says, judged as debates, they do not measure up to their reputation, but it was a very fierce contest. Uh, he said, approximating the character of a revolution and immensely important for the furthering of the breakup of national the national parties and drawing the nation toward the Civil War. Jaffa says if a Democrat had been elected in 1860, whether it was Stephen Douglas or another Democrat, it is improbable in the extreme that succession would have followed. And so the issues at stake were the fundamental issues in American politics at the time. The Lincoln-Douglas debates concerned with he says, one great practical and one great theoretical question. The practical question was whether federal authority may or should be employed to keep slavery out of the federal territories.
0: So the, the, the kind of background for this too is that until in about 1820, Congress passed the Missouri Compromise, which sort of divided the remaining territories in half and said these ones below would be allowed to have slavery and these ones above wouldn't. And that was sort of the the state of the slavery question for more than 30 years. And it was, it it produced a sort of balance in the Congress and a balance among the states that neither one of them was going to overwhelm the other. After we took over the uh, Mexican session, which now the, the whole southwestern quadrant of the country that sort of changed everything up and they revised that in the Compromise of 1850, which sort of shifted the Missouri Compromise a little. And then Stephen Douglas came up with this idea in about 1854 of popular sovereignty. it that forget about dividing the territories, you know, by Washington's idea of what it should be. The people there should be the ones who decide whether they're going to be a free territory or a slave territory. And this really outraged a lot of people in the North who up to that point had said, well, at least this part of the country, there's not going to be any slavery. Now, places like Kansas and Nebraska, which had been closed to it, were now possibly going to be open to it um, if the settlers there voted for it. And we'll, and th- this idea so splintered the, the two parties, which had both been kind of trying to straddle the divide on slavery and be national parties. The Whig Party was destroyed, essentially. The Southern Democrats and Northern Democrats were not getting along, but they were still one party for a time. And what started to rise out of that was what became the Republican Party dedicated to stopping the expansion of slavery. So by 1858, there's a Senate seat open in Illinois. Stephen Douglas is running as the Democrat, Lincoln as the Republican. And they have these debates around the state. And what's interesting is, of course, back then, senators were elected by state legislatures. So they weren't directly elected by the voters, but the voters were certainly taking into account the Senate race when they voted for their legislature. So this was sort of a, it's something that would be unusual today is, you know, making, having these debates in front of people who can't actually vote for you, but indirectly they did vote for you. And that was probably the big issue in the state legislative election, that term. And the big issue within that was, should slavery be expanded? By the time Jaff is writing, the sort of revisionist historians were questioning whether this was such a big deal, this, this particular series of debates. Like, did we did we only really talk about it because the man who lost that Senate election at 58 went on to win the presidency in 1860 and became this transformational figure in American history? And, you know, a lot of the, the, uh, the new school of historians in the 50s were saying, that, that's the only reason we care about this. You know, everyone was debating things around the country. This wasn't a particularly important debate. And Jaffa uh, pretty vehemently objects to that and talks in this whole book about how this was about the fundamental issue of American Republic, and American democracy, about what it meant to be an American. You know Whether the, the Declaration of Independence promise of all men being created equal was something that meant anything. And if it did, how was it going to be fulfilled? And that was all wrapped up in what people were talking about in 1858 and what these two men in particular were debating as they ran for Senate.
1: Yeah, Lincoln says the rights enunciated in the Declaration were understood by its authors to apply to all men, Negroes included. Javis says, for Lincoln, the issue is whether the American people should believe that all men are created equal in the full extent and true significance of that proposition. So Lincoln says the central idea of our political opinion is the equality of men, and until that matter, that central idea was settled all peripheral questions really needed to be held in abeyance. Like just like today, there's many other issues that they had, they were dealing with, uh, to do with, you know, transportation and society and whatever. But what Jeff is arguing is that this was a transcendental argument because what Lincoln was trying to argue is that all of those other issues may be important, but we can't get to those until we decide, you know, what does the declaration really mean? What does all men created equal actually mean?
0: And, that, and that, that question was becoming more important because, in part, the two sides were getting farther apart on it. The early days of the Republic, it was sort of just, they muddled through. They, you know, It was a local matter that federal government didn't have to have an opinion on, and that was necessary during the founding because it was the only way we were going to hold the country together was to say that this question, which was this institution that was fading away in the North already, but was still going strong in the South. A lot of the founding fathers thought, well, it'll fade away completely someday, but for now, let's just not put it really in the constitution at all, almost because to do otherwise would be to alienate some of the colonies that desperately needed to hang together in the revolution and later in the constitutional convention. Mm -hmm. But by Lincoln's time, not only had it not faded away, but in the South become even more deeply embedded into society and was spreading to new territories acquired and the one of the other besides the Kansas Nebraska thing that that Douglas started in 54 one of the other galvanizing factors in that time was the dred scott decision in 1857 which we today we hear mentioned usually as the supreme court's worst ever decision yeah. and what it did was say that you know and today it seems normal for a big issue to be settled by the supreme court which <laughs> back then that was not the case. Usually Congress and, you know, together with the president and the state legislatures work to settle our political differences because that's how a republic's supposed to work. But this one went to the Supreme court and the question is whether somebody who brought his slave into a free territory and then tried to bring him back South again, you know, that, that slave, that man sued saying, well, I, I went onto free soil. I'm free now. You know, you can't, you can't bring me back. And the court said, no, because of the the property rights that are protected in the fifth amendment. And then they went kind of further and said that Congress could never bar slavery in the territories, something they had done since even before the constitution was written. So that 60 years of, of past practice was all unconstitutional. You can't bar slavery in the territories because that would be taking away somebody's property. And that, you know, that the, the men and women and children who made up that class of property, uh, Could never have rights in the united states so this was a pretty controversial opinion even in 1857 and um again the people who were already mad about undoing the missouri compromise were now you know beside themselves and really it galvanized the abolitionists and you know contributed to the fact that this new party that was forming among them was now poised to possibly win the congress and when they nominated Lincoln against Douglas, who would come up with the popular sovereignty idea, it was it set up this clash right away.
1: Yeah, and even further in the Dred Scott decision, the court said that uh, that the Constitution did not mean to include American citizenship for black people, regardless of whether they were enslaved or free, and so all the the rights of rights and privileges of American citizenship could never be applied to them. Which you know, Lincoln said, that's farther that that moves farther than anyone um, had had ever, ever argued before. That that the the court and uh, Stephen Douglas were now arguing that that black people not only couldn't vote, but now what we're saying is they're actually not. Basically, they're not people. They're not men. They don't count as humans. Which was even farther than the than the society had gone up to that point.
0: Yeah, I mean, because there were there were free black people since before the Republic was founded, you know, and this was, I mean, in the South, it was increasingly seen as an an anomaly, but it wasn't like the founders when they wrote the constitution thought that this was an impossibility. You know, it was unusual for a black person to be free in those days, but it wasn't like Lincoln was saying, this is some craziness that came, that came up a few years ago. It was a fringe theory that when the once the court adopted it, uh, all of the people who promoted the slave power in the South said, yeah, yeah, sure. We've always thought this, yes. <laughs> and this is something you see today, too. I mean, so, you know, politicians will latch on to something. They call it, uh, the Overton window sometimes, you know, the idea of moving the, the, the frame of the debate in one direction or the other. And we act like this was always the case. I mean, you could see it with like the open borders stuff that's taking over the Democratic Party. Whereas like four years ago, no one was saying we should have open borders. Now they're saying they won't say those words, but they'll say, well, we shouldn't arrest anyone for sneaking over the border, which is the same thing. You know, that's like, that was if you said that, if you said that when President Obama was running, should we arrest people for coming over the border? He'd say, yeah, of course it's against the law. But now to say that in the Democrat party puts you like, oh, you're practically a Republican. So, I mean, issues do shift like this, and fringe ideas do get adopted but to those who haven't shifted it seems insane and that's mm-hmm. i think how it seemed to lincoln it's like this is not uh anything we've ever agreed on before and now people are talking about it like oh yeah of course they can't be citizens we know this so one of the one of the uh, uh focuses in, in the debates was uh in the second debate at freeport illinois um Lincoln put it to Douglas and said, well, look, you've said that the people in these territories get to vote. The Supreme Court says they don't even get to vote. It's it's slavery always. So which is it? And I think Jaffa puts this as a very important philosophical distinction that had practical effects. Douglas hemmed and hawed, as, as politicians are wont to do, he want support from people who agree to both sides. But ultimately he said that the people get to vote and that maybe congress can't bar slavery but the territorial legislatures did and that made him it still didn't win over any republicans for him because he's still saying we're going to let slavery spread to states where it never was meant to be and also made the south mad at him because they're saying whoa we just won this big victory in dred scott now you're you want to give it away so that's the that's the the point where i think jaffa is saying as a as an historical matter this ensured that douglas was never going to lead this uh moderate northern coalition to victory because he Mm -hmm. he alienated both sides by trying to be in the middle of an issue that there was no middle on
1: in in retrospect we look back and say obviously he was the evil side and and uh i'm not going to you know argue that now but just just imagine if it's an active political public debate and you know douglas is trying to win voters his position basically he says this is this is douglas i don't care whether slavery is voted up or voted down whoever wants slavery has a right to have it upon principles of equality it should be allowed to go everywhere there's no inconsistency between free and slave institutions you know he says mr lincoln advocates boldly and clearly a war of sections a war of the north against the south of the free states against the slave states there i mean there is a some you know modicum of truth there because he actually was right i mean lincoln said no i don't want a war but douglas said well what you're arguing for, that's exactly what it's going to lead to. And of course, obviously he was right that there was, you know, a war. And and Douglas with his, what, what I would call kind of proto-federalism, you know, he says, I assert that it is neither desirable nor possible that there should be uniformity in the local institutions. Uniformity is the parent of despotism. What he's getting at is let the states, you know, do their own thing. You know, it's okay for, for, for the states to uh, address an issue differently or come at it from a different direction and you and I have argued this too that you know like the the laboratories of democracy mm-hmm. of course we're talking in this instance though of the most fundamental question and that's what that's how Abraham Lincoln is pushing back is like well we're not talking about you know should you have a sales tax of four and a half percent versus five and a quarter percent what we're saying is are all human beings human beings and are all created equal under under the law and does the declaration have any meaning at all?
0: Yeah, I think he makes this important point that there are questions that can't be open to debate in a free society, because if we choose the wrong side, then we're no longer a free society. And the the biggest one of these is, can a portion of the population enslave and take away all the rights from a different portion of the population? Because once you allow people to debate that, you're not debating between two different kinds of democracy. You're debating between democracy and despotism. Mm-hmm. And that obviously slavery in this country was white slave owners and black slaves, but if one's legal, the other's legal too. And, or, you know, it could be that, you know, whites can enslave other whites, you know, there, because there was no, there's nothing in our constitution or common law that said, you know, until Dred Scott, that it had to be this way. I mean, you know, the Romans held slaves that looked just like them. And that was the case in all the ancient world. So he's saying if, if, if slavery's allowed, then it, anything is allowed. Any, any portion of the population can disenfranchise another portion at that point, it could even be a minority disenfranchising a majority. Like in by 1860, there were two or three States that had black majorities and that black majority was fully enslaved in South Carolina, Mississippi, and and Louisiana. So at that point, I mean, you're talking about a small fraction of the population had completely disenfranchised a large fraction. Mm -hmm. And he's saying, if that's allowed, yeah, people voted on it, but the, I mean, first of all, not everybody voted on it. But second of all, that you can't call yourself a free country if that's allowed. That that, that was that was his point. There are some things that are so far that even if they're, the means to achieve them is popular vote, popular sovereignty, that's not the highest goal. You know, Douglas puts popular sovereignty at the top saying whatever the people vote for, like, like that quote you read, Corey, that, you know, I don't care which way they vote, as long as they vote that's that's democracy that's what we're here for uh and lincoln's saying there are things higher than democracy democracy is how we get to these good things you know these democracy is how we protect our rights but if democracy is used to destroy rights then it it's improper it's not it's not something a free people can do
1: and and lincoln's argument i think rings very true to all of us in contemporary america because i mean i guess we could probably say because he won the argument but Jaffa has an extended discussion about the frame of mind of folks during that time. He says the idea of the equality of all men within the 18th century horizon related to the idea of the state of nature. Remember that we're going back to Locke again. Locke is so central to the American founding. I, we really encourage you to go back and listen to that episode. I think episode four, but uh, Locke posits this pre-political state in which there's no government. Again, we're, People are individual actors. The reason that they come together to form government is for protect their their person and protect their property. And but they're in the state of nature. There's no you're, there's no lawful subordination. You know, one person to another. So everyone is as equal. But really, you're talking about you know power. Like some some people could be overpowered. So what you say is okay. Let's let's gather together and form a government and the purpose of the government is to ensure our rights that is protect our property and uh, keep us safe from each other and that's kind of the intellectual heritage of of America in the 1850s and Jaffa says there's little beyond an appeal to enlightened self-interest in the doctrine of universal equality when conceived in Lockean form no man from the strictly Lockean standpoint is under any obligation to respect any other man's unalienable rights until the other man is necessary to the security of his own rights, in other words, the state of nature, this pre-political state, posited by Locke, it doesn't actually. I mean, the the thrust is not let's come together and you know build a more just society. Instead, it's like let's come together and form this kind of loose union, and what we'll do is we'll agree to to help one another and form this government to keep. The bad actors from acting uh, harming my property or harming me, Um, but in the in that pre-political state, actually, you know, Locke even said that it was anyone's right to kill anyone else who was trying to you know take your property or something like that. And uh, where Jaff is taking this, he just he describes the Lockean thinking in a way that you know, frankly, I hadn't really thought of it much. But he says the Lockean idea of a right to liberty meant that no one can consistently appeal to my sense of right to give up my liberty but it does not mean that a man who enslaves another violates the enslaver's sense of what is right in other words like it's not immoral for me to enslave someone else and it doesn't as the enslave you know as the slave owner let's say i'm not violating any broader um, you know metaphysical value instead it's just a matter of well we had government to stop each other from kind of doing this but if if the government agrees like okay well this group Yeah, they don't get all the rights, then that's fine, Uh, you know, under the Lockean framework, because really what we're trying to do is basically keep yourself safe, and so under this Lockean idea, I I don't have, I I really don't have a duty to anyone else, and what Lincoln is saying is, here's Jeff, he says, Lincoln confounds the meaning of a right, that is, you know, these rights of like being able to protect my property, with this new concept of what is right, meaning an objective state or condition in which justice is done. In other words, Abraham Lincoln is positing like a morality to say like, well, maybe, maybe under the Lockean concept, you don't have a duty to anyone else, but under the declaration, we've decided as a people that all men are created equal. And that's a, that is a, a broader transcendent metaphysical right. That's, you know, us a, a natural right or a right given from God that actually transcends just the duties that we may or may not have to each other with uh, the most limited government.
0: And yeah. And when he, um, he, he talks about how in the declaration of independence, they appeal to nature's God, you know, they appeal to their creator as, you know, the source of these rights. And that is important uh, to Lincoln in, in Jaffe's telling because or Jaffa's telling because they're not just, we talk about the the revolution as securing the rights of Englishmen for the colonists, but they didn't appeal to the common law of England. They appealed to natural law, natural rights, as things given, these inalienable rights given by our creator. So to Lincoln, the creator didn't just create Englishmen. He created all of us. So there, in appealing to this universal source of right, what... Uh, Jefferson and the other authors of the declaration are saying is that these are the rights of men not the rights of Englishmen and even though they did in that sort of limited sense only apply it to white men the concept is applicable to all men and Lincoln in Lincoln's view we should be moving in that direction and it kind of makes sense because if you think like the the thing that that Locke was talking about. And the thing that Jefferson was talking about was the the tyranny of the government, that was a big enemy in their day. They were both talking about the government that they couldn't live under anymore because it was taking away their rights. And by the time Lincoln's writing, that is not true anymore. We've, we've, we've had our revolution and you know, our government was very limited and we didn't, we weren't really oppressing each other except that some of us were allowed to oppress others individually. So the, the main enemy had shifted if, in, if we're talking about increasing liberty and increasing freedom from the King to uh, individual slave owners who are now the primary source of unliberty in the country. So I think what Lincoln's doing here is sort of drafting it. I, I thought it, it, it sounded like a synthesis of, of Christianity and Locke, mm-hmm. you know, it's sort of, he's, Or as Locke's saying, it's not in your interest to oppress others because they'll do it to you. You know, and if we're going to live in a society, we are going to agree to respect each other's rights. But Lincoln's saying it, even for the people who didn't join in that society voluntarily, you know, who didn't leave their state of nature or their society and come into ours by choice, there are still these rights. You know, It's and the phrase... It comes up in a lot of the civil war readings is you know as i would not be a, ma- a slave so i would not be a master that's lincoln's point. you know and he talks in some of these some of his speeches that, that jaffa quotes is that you know there's a lot of, there were a lot of defenses in the 1850s people writing books about how slavery was the right thing to do and it was good for everybody and lincoln points out that never did a slave write such a book it was only the masters writing these books if it was great for everybody, Absolutely. I think somebody on the other side might say it's great. Never worked out that way. So Lincoln's sort of making a, a sort of golden rule for liberal democracies that if if you have a right and you want that right protected, and like the right to liberty, then you can't turn around and say I'm going to take somebody else's right the same way. It it doesn't make sense, and even if you vote for it, you know it's it's combining this good principle of democracy, you know, to bring about something that doesn't make sense in terms of how this country was organized. And, and I, th- I, th- I hadn't thought about it this way before. And, um, but I think Jeff makes a good point here about just how Lincoln in the Lockean tradition moves the, the way we conceive of rights in a pretty significant direction. I mean, it was his, the point of this book was to say how important these debates were, and I, I think right that alone makes them some of the more important debates in our history.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and was, I was reading through this. I mean, uh, you and I talked beforehand. I mean, I've read two or three biographies of Lincoln. This is the first one that that I've read that really dived into his philosophy, his thought, and and frankly, I was a little bit surprised. I mean, it's it's great, and it speaks to us. I'm not sure that Lincoln would have been a Republican in, in you know, in 2019. Though <laughs> no, I mean, a, a lot of these themes, I guess, have been, you know, carried more by Democrats these days. But the extension of this thought, at least, so I was, I was reading. You know, I'm trying to figure. Think to myself, you know, Jaffa himself was is a conservative writer. Obviously, that's the reason we we picked up this book. And he worked at Claremont and was kind of a, one of those leading conservative intellectuals. But here, here's where I think that. Uh, the influence of Leo Strauss really comes out for Jaffa. And that is, but we, for, for listeners, we have a, a Strauss episode on natural right. Please go back and listen if, if this interests you, but Leo Strauss is really preoccupied with the question of how can we ground morality? How can we ground rights? Or is, how, how can we ground, you know, the, some of these questions of, you know, what is right? Is, is there any, you know, transcendent like metaphysical good or correct or right? and, in this telling, I mean, Lincoln is making this strong argument that there is a transcendent you know, good or better or value, and that is all men are created equal. And he's trying to ground it in, in an argument, as you said, of a Christian argument of these are given to us by God, that we're all sons and daughters of God, and, and we've been endowed by our creator with certain ina- inalienable rights. And it's also grounded in natural law. You know, the argument of you can't, we as a society can't be truly free if they're so many of us among us that are not free to the argument you just described. You know, it actually is corrosive to our own, you know, rights and well being. So he's making this, you know, two side he's he's taking it from two different angles, the theological and Christian angle, that, you know, God has given us these rights and also the natural right that this is how the universe operates. And if we're violating the universe, then we're actually it's actually corrosive to our own society and our to our own souls. And how does this how does this relate to Strauss? Well, you know Jaffa is a Straussian, and this was this was the the central focus of of Strauss's study is like can we ground these values, the good, in a, in a natural right or in a and Strauss was sort of like even if you don't believe in God, can we can we ground it in some way? And you know Jaffa is a strong believer in this that that these you know transcendent values can be grounded in something that's real in contrast, you know, the left today, this is who the Strauss was writing against is the left today would say, no, you know, values are socially constructed. You know, this is a matter of depends on where you were born and what, what age of, of, uh, the world and, and what society that's going to sort of dictate and it's power between, between people, you know, power between groups is what dictates, you know, morality. But I think what Jaffa would say is, and Lincoln, like, well, if you say that, well, then how can we make this strong argument that the Declaration is transcendent and is grounded in something real that actually does create obligations on, on one another in a
0: society? Yeah, and I, th- I think part of what makes it conservative, too, is it, it's a precursor of what would become that liberal, classical liberal tradition. Like we talked about when we read the von Mises book, the idea that he talked about liberalism as the first political philosophy that didn't include class rights. You know, everything that came before it, was, well, the king can do this, but you can't. Or, you know, mm-hmm. the aristocracy can do this, but you can't. Liberalism was this liberating idea that rights are things possessed by every human being. And that that's what, what Lincoln's drawing on here, even more than Locke did, and even more than Jefferson and the, and the other founding fathers did, is that there's a universalism to rights and yeah, there's, they're they're grounded. They're not just because that 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 Straussian idea is what you hear people talk about rights today, it's often uh, what they often mean is a benefit. You know, that's not really a natural right. You know, people talk about the yeah, right yeah. to health care. Like, what well, what does that mean? Like, <laughs> that means they want money to pay for stuff. They want <laughs> you know, they want it to come from other people. That's not rights in the way that anyone's really talked about rights before. The classical liberal idea of right is something that we can't, nobody can take away from you. Something that you're born with as a as a matter of being human, and it is. And and I think the the big contribution of of Strauss and his disciples, including Jaffa, is that that doesn't. You know, we can talk about them as coming from God, but even for those who don't believe in God, we can talk of rights as existing. Mm -hmm. And I think Jefferson struggled with that. You know, as a sort of deist or whatever his religious background was you know as he's coming out of that the tradition that is you know the the enlightenment was still a nominally religious movement you know the people whether they all believed in God or not they all said they did so in Jefferson's time this was a kind of a, a problem and in Lincoln's time he's you know he's he draws on religious themes but he's also talking to people who might not be that religious themselves, and how do you how do you make the same argument to the same people? If rights are universal, then they should be universal, and they should be true, whether or not you're a member of this religion or that or, or none. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, I that 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 I, to me is what places this this book and Lincoln's ideas in on what we today be called the right rather than the left.
1: Yeah, yeah, good stuff. I agree with that. Oh, there's one other piece that I want really want to talk about. And that is, I kind of labeled it in my notes, like Lincoln on statesmanship, because he says, uh, you, you know, they had the same, you know, issues then as we do now of, you know, they had abolitionists who were critical of Lincoln, you know, just kind of like, let's not slow walk this. This is an evil. We've identified it as an evil in the world. We need to eradicate it right now with no patience. And today, obviously we have that too, right? There's, mm-hmm. <laughs> on the, there's a radical left who's, who would say like, you know, whatever the social issue of the day, you know, uh, I was just listening to a podcast a guy talking about it in the context of, of eating meat, you know, like <laughs> this is, this is a, an extreme evil that <laughs> needs to be eradicated now. <laughs> like, whoa. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but, uh, <laughs> anyway, Lincoln, that's not the way he approached the world. He says, uh, to know what is good or right, to know how much of that good is attainable, to act to secure that much good, but not to abandon the attainable good by grasping for more. Now, this is Jaffa. Lincoln's task from 1854 on was to place slavery on a course to extinction. His policy was to proceed one step at a time. Here's Jaffa again. The opinion of the governed, unfortunately, for the utopians, so he's going to call them the utopians. We call it like, you know, radical left or radical social justice word does not always favor the full and unequivocal achievement of goals. So in this sense, he has kind of a, a strain of Burke in him too, you know, Mm -hmm. a very pragmatic practical, you know, that, that could be part of conservatism too. Burke didn't say, no, we can't change society and no, there are not areas that we need to strive to repair, but instead he's like, let it, let it build organically, you know, let's Let's do it one step at a time, you know, slowly but surely, uh, which really speaks to me, but uh, Lincoln today, you know, if he were on the debate stage with the other, um, you know, 29 social justice candidates for the for democratic party today, you know, he'd be, I mean, he's, he would be more of like, you know, the, the Bennett or the you know governor from Montana or whatever, you know, basically like, we don't want to hear from you. We want you, we immediately want the. Folks crossing the border, we just want that to be legalized now and giving them health care. And he he's he he may or may not agree with them. And be like, yeah, maybe that needs to happen, but we're going to do it one step at a time. And to me, this is just really admirable about Lincoln. And of course, it played it played out in his you know orchestration of the Civil War and then also like bringing the Union back together. I mean, he really had a serious pragmatic streak of both on the one hand having deeply held philosophical views about how the world should work and about equality and about uh, treating all, all humans the same while at the same time having a a pragmatic streak of like, that's where I want to get, but it might take a hundred years to get there. We we need to take the first steps today
0: in order to move in that direction. Yeah. And another thing that sets him apart from the the modern day radical is he saw this country doing something he thought was evil in, in, in slaveholding. But he didn't think that made the founding principles of this country evil.
1: Right, yeah. Yes.
0: He thought that we weren't living up to them and that that was the evil. Uh, but the principles themselves were good. And I think that's a debate you hear today is a year a lot of people look at some of the history of the country and see stuff that wasn't right and say the whole thing's messed up. It should be torn down. These principles are bad because look what happened under them. You know, sometimes people behaved badly. Sometimes laws were bad. So obviously it's all bad knock it down, start over. And for Lincoln and for modern conservatives, you can say, look, obviously we weren't perfect. Obviously we were far from perfect. We did some stuff that was pretty reprehensible, but look, we're moving in a direction of really realizing these principles, these high principles that were never realized in the day by the people who wrote them or the generations that came after, but we're so much closer now to that than we ever were. Mm -hmm. And it's, um, one of Lincoln's things, uh, one of the quotes Jaffa had was um, Lincoln talking about Christ telling his disciples to be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Well, you know, all Christians want to be like Christ, but none of us ever has been. You know, it's a it's, yeah. a, it's a it's a it's an unattainable goal, but it's one you should still aim at. I think, and that was the message of it. It's like, well, we know everyone's going to fall short. Everyone's going to mess up. Some are going to mess up really bad. Others are pretty good folks, but you know, we all have flaws and we all make mistakes and or even do things on purpose that aren't right. And I think Lincoln is applying that to the declaration too. It's like, look, this is a this principle that all men are created equal is so good and so pure that we're all falling short of it. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't try to get closer to it, you know, and that's sort of like limits in calculus where you never quite get to the thing, but the the graph approaches it. You know, it's we're we're moving that way. We want to get closer with every generation. But the fact that we don't get there this year or next year or maybe ever doesn't mean that the idea is bad.
1: Yeah. And and imagine an absolutist position at the at the original founding. You know, I remember in uh, John Adams' biography, I mean, he he also deplored slavery, thought it was an evil, thought it was a, a pox on the entire country. But at the same time, like what are the fruits of of that experiment you know that we did have for the first time in the history of the world a country founded on an ideal and even though it was not anywhere near close to you know fruition at that moment at least they had it and you know what if what if they would have stopped and said no we can't do this unless everything is perfect right now you know we have this evil has to be eradicated otherwise there's no way we can move forward well i mean i think that it led to something good and it's getting better you know and then Twenty or fifty years, I and mean, hopefully it's even better. I mean, that just really strikes strikes me. And Jaffa was very, you know, pointedly, you know, making this argument that don't let the, you know, the perfect be the enemy of the good.
0: Yep, it's um, it's something we should bear in mind. It, it, it applies as much to our time as to Lincoln's, even though we've made some many improvements since his day, due in part to his actions. I mean, in his leadership in the war and, and in the fight to end slavery. That such flaws as we still do have, we should work to mend, but not, yeah, not throw the baby out with the bathwater as, as so many of our more impulsive left-wing commentators want to do these days that, you know, we, we should, the vision of this country is good and, and it is pure and it is something that should inspire all mankind. And I realized that it doesn't, I mean, that was the, uh, it was the universalist, uh, question we discussed in the Huntington episode not everyone does like our values but you know as for, as for us here in the west these are good values that inspire us and are part of our cultural mm-hmm. tradition and as far as we're concerned they're right the question is how well do we live up to them not whether we should knock them all down and you know try to build some socialist utopia
1: very good I think that's a good note to end on that's uh, Harry Jaffa we'll catch you next time